Hello and welcome to the Chronic Living Podcast, your need-to-know source for living with a chronic illness or disability. I'm your host, Alex Pappas, and I'll be sharing my experiences living with a chronic illness, as well as inviting others on to share their stories. So join me in shining a light on the world that is chronic living. All right, guys, thank you for joining me for another episode of Chronic Living. Today, I am joined by Amanda, and she's going to share some of her experiences being part of the chronic community. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. I super appreciate it. Um, I, my name is Amanda, as you said, um, I am 28 years old and I, um, have a few diagnoses. My main, I guess, chief complaint, as they would say (laughs) in the doctor's office is, um, I have a type of vasculitis that's called, um, granulomatosis with polyangitis, um, GPA. It's formerly been, uh, called Wegener's disease, but, he was um, not a good person. So they have changed that to a more, I guess, clinical diagnosis. Um, So what is that out of curiosity? um, So vasculitis is um, like blood vessel um, inflammation and um, my issues, it, it can affect pretty much any blood vessel in your body. So like your skin, Um, a lot of people have like kidney and lung problems. Lungs are my issue, lung and sinus. Um, you can have, um, brain involvement. That's what they call central nervous system vasculitis. Um, but the issues that I have are mainly with my, predominantly with my lungs and my sinuses. That doesn't sound fun. Yeah. Does it make like breathing and stuff harder or? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I am 28. I got sick when I was 12. So I've got at this point in my life, 16 years of, um, lung damage. (laughs) And, uh, so it's caused a considerable amount of issues. If I'm in a flare or if I'm having like a particularly bad day, I have to be on oxygen, um, just two liters. So it's not like anything absolutely insane, but most days I try not to mess with that because it's there's a lot of a uh, stigma with a lot of things so now is that is that something is there like something specific that can cause that mm, or so, is it just kind of something like you're born with and it develops over time so from what I understand of it um is it can be triggered by numerous different things but it is autoimmune so in the the long of the short is just that my body just decided like, Hey, I'm going to attack your lungs and uh, give you a really bad time. <laughs> hey, so good old autoimmune diseases. I know, are always fun. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, colitis falls under that group too. So I get that. Yeah. All right. And I imagine all the other diagnoses are linked to the main one caused by it. Yeah. In a way, um, I guess from what I, Again, from what I understand, like once you have an autoimmune issue, your body just kind of like just, slowly yeah. but surely decides to give up. Um, yep. But work harder everywhere else and cause more problems. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I have a hypothyroid. Um, so my thyroid like tries really hard and doesn't do anything. Um, my whole body, my whole life is trying hard not doing anything. Um, but yeah, I have that. Um, I, because of my, um, I guess a combination of my lungs and the treatment, um, cause I've been on a lot of prednisone over the last 16 Ooh. years. 
Yeah, so yeah. my weight is super yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I have sleep apnea. They said I, I got tested, I think when I was 23, I had a sleep study done and they're like, wow, you're the worst person we've had this, this age. I'm like, cool, thanks. Okay, I, I just be number one. <laughs> <laughs> the worst, yeah. yes. <laughs> I know. So yeah, but I, uh, I have that. And then of course, like, I feel like a lot of people that are chronically ill struggle with like depression and anxiety because yep. of their <laughs> situation and also yeah like I mean just just the situation and then also like society's expectations don't really line up with your reality <laughs> so well yeah I mean you know the, the expectations the stuff that you deal with on a day-to-day basis the things that you can't do that you wanted to do especially if you're diagnosed mm-hmm. at a certain point in your life versus being born with something yeah yeah I get that yeah it's just four really... times the physical pain that's that's rough <laughs> yeah that, that was probably um, like the worst the for me starting. And stuff. yeah yeah but oh it's nasty I say that because that, that was like the first couple of years was the worst for me and that was just the physical pain from colitis after that yeah the bills suck yeah the doctors can be a pain and the medication side effects especially prednisone really suck um but yeah that that physical pain that was that was the yeah. top one for me um I the most recent like hospitalization that I had um they like pulled me off the solumedrol or whatever in the hospital like extremely fast um I had been uh septic the last time I was hospitalized like three and a half four years ago now um and they had me on like a really high dose because it's IV so and then they took me off and I, I don't know if you've experienced this but it's like your bones are breaking and like you can't like everything is it's just the amount of pain is incredible and from the, my uh, doctor the had prednisone? come in and was like huh from the prednisone yeah from high dose prednisone yeah. or solumedrol given an IV um but yeah they well, like yeah, pulled me off the calcium out of your bones like mm-hmm. my bones are jacked up yeah I know someone that was diagnosed I want to say a few years after me with the same disease heart she has kidney involvement instead of lung involvement um, and she's had to have both hips replaced. And I think she's only two years older than me. It's insane. Yeah. It's I mean, insane. The highest dosage I was ever on with prednisone was like a hundred milligrams. And that was the IV based ones. Um, yeah. Highest I've ever been on the pill based, I think was 60 milligrams a day, which is yeah. still super high, but yeah, yeah it's no, incredible. The, the side effects and you're not supposed to be on a normal dosage with prednisone for more than six months in total. And the right. normal dosage is between like 20 and 40 milligrams a day, tapering off. Right. And I think I was over 60 for like a year and a half. So yeah, yeah, my bones are all jacked. I went to the bone doctor They're like, well, if you were 60 years old and a woman, we'd say you'd have <laughs> osteoporosis, but you're 27 <laughs> and a male. So we don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like probably the same thing (laughs) but your bones are really bad i'm like i yeah i'm like they're not getting worse they're like well it's not osteoporosis then i'm like yeah they're just really bad because that's that's the big thing is osteoporosis is when your bones are caught you know consistently getting worse right um, and your body's not able to rebuild it where a lot of us that are on prednisone it's just it it strips the calcium from your bones so that they're weaker Um, but without that presence of prednisone they kind of just stay where they are unless you have a different condition that's causing them to get worse right yeah breaking things is easy bruising bones is 
something I, I think I deal with very commonly. It's annoying. I'll see my feet. Yeah, it's but, not the most fun. But I yeah, had like the doctor come in and she, what did she say? She said something, because I said something, I didn't, I was supposed to go home the next day and I ended up going home, but I was petrified that night because like I couldn't sleep. I was in so much pain, I couldn't walk. And she came in and like laughed and was like, yeah, sometimes I feel like a drug dealer because I have to give people like all of these like Norcos and stuff because... I just take you guys off the steroids so fast. And I was like, <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Um, so I don't know. Some some of the doctors that I've experienced in my tenure with um, chronic illness has been absolutely insane. I no longer see that doctor, but. Well, it's, I mean, the, the steroids, when you're on a high dosage, if, I mean, I remember being on like 60 milligrams a day. And if I forgot to take it a day, yeah, the, the withdrawal symptoms just started kicking in. Yeah, like you, you, you get that those bone just aches to the core. Um, I would get like my my skin would always be itchy, and you were just I was like always anxious, yeah, for no reason, and it was just my body was just addicted to the steroids, and even even when you slowly come off of them too, you still get a lot of those nasty side effects. And with prednisone, I found the higher the dosage, the the nastier the side effects got, and the longer yeah, the list it. of them got. Right. Well, I think that a lot of like my mental health issues that I have um, stem from chronic or long-term use of prednisone because like, I like, it made me like a very angry person. Like I was not the same person that I was. And even when I got off of it, I think I had been in such, like I had been in treatment for so long. I think it just like permeated who I was and it's taken a lot of unlearning to fix that. I had, I mean, I would get mood swings all the time um I guess. <laughs> it, yeah like like and it was it was just all of a sudden almost almost to the point of like bipolar disorder mm-hmm. like you'd be doing you'd be perfectly fine and then it would just snap and for whatever reason you're just pissed off or overly yep. emotional and it would just just for no reason nothing like you could just be sitting there and it would just happen and you would just get pissed off at whoever the next person that just happened to come in contact with you yeah um, we were really early in our marriage um I'm, I'm married by the way I got married when I was 20 um not life making decision age that's for certain um but if you were the chronic I, illness <laughs> well I mean I mean I knew that and he knew that so yeah. I guess that's good but like certainly like you're not you don't know what life is about I mean I think that you think you do I know I thought I did but I yeah. didn't well, <laughs> when you have a chronic <laughs> illness when you have a chronic illness, life always seems to throw new things to you every so often where it's like, eh, you've been comfortable you, or you've been, you know, comfortably uncomfortable for too long. Let's throw, <laughs> let's throw a wrench at it. Like you're too un- You're not uncomfortable enough. Let's throw another wrench at it. Oh, you got the pain under control, but you're dealing with a bunch of debt. Well, let's throw a different level of pain at you from something else. Like yeah, that's just, that's just, that's the life. That's like being part of the chronic community you're just like you're always waiting when it when it gets comfortable and i'm not talking like perfect when right. it's you have your you have your nice routine you're not flaring up you don't have an immense amount of pain or the pain is you've gotten so used to it's just like okay this is just like a it's just there it's kind of sore not really painful right. like when you get to that point mentally you're just preparing you're like all right this is too easy. 
it isn't perfect, but it's just too comfortable. Like there's not enough problems. So you're just waiting for that next thing to happen. That is so true. And I've had people be like, well, you just like being miserable. And that is not the case. Like, it's just in my experience in my life heretofore, like it's always something. And I've really struggled um, emotionally. I feel like with feeling like, I don't know if this is common for everyone. So chime in if you feel um, similarly, but Oh, I've talked a lot about mental health. Well, I just struggle so much with like, if I tried harder, if I was more compliant with my medication, because I think chronically ill people can understand like it gets really old having to take something when it doesn't necessarily make things better. Um, but the side effects are sometimes like, I'm not advocating, of course, for not taking medication. I firmly believe in that. Um, I just personally struggle heavily with like rationalizing taking something that like might like might not make me feel better and in my in my case with my disease like oftentimes does make me feel worse um because i have to be on immunosuppressants yeah so well and and especially with you know what's going on in today's day and age with covid taking something we're on an immunosuppressant like everything is just it adds to it it adds this extra layer of worry and i mean thankfully personally I'm on Remicade. It's an IV based infusion. I get it every six weeks and knock on wood. That's been taking care of things for the most part. Um, yeah, I'm however, to start, um, <clears throat> okay. Yep. Is that, is that an IV based one? Yeah. It's IV based biologic. Yeah. Um, how often do you have to get that one with every eight? Um, looks like from what I understand, if I'm in an active flare, it'll be every two weeks, I believe okay. for two or four infusions and then every six months for a half dose after that oh that's that's not bad if you're not flaring up um yeah but i mean before i was on the remicade uh like when i was first getting diagnosed i was taking like 20 to 26 pills a day Mm -hmm. and prednisone being a good chunk of it you know the prednisone side effects especially once you get upwards of like 60 milligrams on a regular basis yeah, I was hallucinating and didn't even realize it for like a month. Yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> so I used to live in the woods in Massachusetts. Like we, we lived on like 30 acres of land. We were like way up in the woods. And, you know, at nighttime, it wasn't uncommon to see different like wood creatures. You know, you see deer, fox, maybe like a coyote or something, occasional like small bear. It wasn't a big deal. Well, I didn't realize, like, I kept seeing this black, like, wolf slash dog all the time outside. I didn't realize that the dog wasn't actually there. I was just hallucinating that it was there until, like, a month in, it was just randomly in my room, to which I started freaking out about it. So, yeah, hallucination was one of them that I got that I didn't even realize for a long time. And then once you realize it's happening, it's you got used to it, but yeah, you get those, you get those fun side effects. And I mean, prednisone, I I think prednisone for me was one of those ones where it's like, is it better to just let colitis do what it wants to do? Or should I be on this high dosage that feels like all the extra side effects are worse than the disease itself? Yeah. Well, it makes you feel so good, which is so hard. Like, I I don't know if I really ever struggled to take the 
prednisone as much as I did, I was on cytoxan, which is like a, you can have intravenous, but I had a, the pill-based and it's a chemotherapy drug. And man, that thing, it made you feel so bad. Um, like, I, I mean, for me, like, I, I hated the prednisone. I hated it because colitis is a diet-based disease. And the fact <laughs> that it wasn't working and it, when you have, when you're on high doses of prednisone, I was eating like five meals a day. Yeah. And it, that it was just causing so much pain because I was eating so much. Cause if you're in a flare up, you got all these ulcers in your digestive tract. And when food goes across it, after it's been in your stomach, all that stomach acid's hitting it. And it causes like this ridiculous pain. So you're on a high dosage of prednisone to treat the ulcers but because you're on a high dosage of prednisone, now you're eating more. The more food that's going through you, it's irritating the ulcers, in my case, because the prednisone wasn't fully doing its job. Right. So I <clears throat> I hated it. Like, And then on top of that, like the night sweats, the mood swings. Mm-hmm. Man, so the I, was, I forgot about that. Oh, oh God. <laughs> I mean, you know, breaking breaking out my, my shoulders and my back. It's like a, a minefield from all the, like, scars from the breakouts that I would have on a regular basis but yeah no prednisone for me was just because I was eating so much it would cause my colitis to act up because my colitis was acting up I wouldn't sleep enough then the few times it wasn't acting up and I would try to sleep the night sweats would usually keep me up so prednisone for me was a it was a nasty one yeah it's it's not the best and I've been like I've been off and on it for I guess it's 16 years so the weight yeah. gain is like what has really killed me. And so now I'm to the point where I'm trying to like mitigate like all of the symptoms and get healthier or whatever. Cause, um, back, like I had said previously, I had a really bad hospital stay about four years ago. And because since I was 12, I had been in and out of the hospital every other year for about a week or so at a time. Um, I, it was normal for me and everybody was yep. like this is not normal like you need to not work and I was like I have to work to have insurance because you know we live in America and things are wonderful here um but I um because I I had incredibly bad sepsis um because of the chemotherapy pill I had been taking um and it like because my lungs are weak it permeated my lungs and so I, they were like solid white on the x-ray and uh and when I got out, I was like, I was not sure I would go back to work because I had been like bedridden in the ICU. I had been on like 50 liters of oxygen with nitrous. It was, it was a really bad stay. It was like 14, 15 days, I want to say. Um, and I was just like, I can't keep like going to work and then going to the hospital and then going to work. And then like I had went, went from like a physical labor job to like a retail to retail management. And then I ended up in a call center before I retired is what I call it. I call it retirement. Um, but Retirement's I just, supposed I, to be relaxing. You know, I mean, this is better than working. That's for Well, for yeah, sure. yeah. When you're dealing with a lot of stuff. Saying, most but, people look at retirement as like, oh, I can't wait. Or it's like a lot of people with chronic illnesses, they're forced to essentially retire in a way because their their body just can't handle yeah, well, that's, that's what, like, I had people for the year prior to me um, getting disability tell me, like, you need to apply, you need to apply, you need to apply, and I was like, no, I'm just 23, but. And it takes so uh, long to get to, the average time you know, is, I think before COVID is like a year. See, 
Yeah, I've heard that. Um, mine was almost a year. Um, I advocate incredibly for attorneys. Um, yep. That is something that I did and I would do it a hundred times over. Um, I didn't have to do anything other than sign some papers and they did all of the heavy lifting. And I think it took, I want to say we filed in June. They backdated it to April and I got it in February. So about 10 months. Um, not bad. No, and I think I paid the attorney like six hundred or four hundred dollars that I I didn't see because it came out of my settlement. So I was like, mm. and I referred. I started a nonprofit um, in my state of Kentucky um, for chronic illnesses. By the way, uh, shameless plug, and Go for um, it. <laughs> and uh, and so I've referred several people and I actually met a guy that's in his, he's older in his fifties, maybe I want to say, um, maybe early sixties. And he just had been diagnosed with what I have same, same involvement, lung and sinus, um, same, like really bad initial experience. I think a lot of us that have like onset of a chronic illness or a chronic disease, it gets so bad that you're hospitalized. It, like if it comes out of nowhere, like you're healthy one day and then like a month yep. later you're in the hospital and yep. you're like near death <laughs> well, because you yeah. didn't know anything yeah. was really wrong. Well, yeah, I mean, it's also per personally, I was 17 at the time when I got diagnosed and I feel like everyone knows how well a teenage boy is at communicating issues, especially when yeah. it comes to health. So Excellent. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it, it definitely got worse for me than it should have, but I learned from it and it was my swift kick of maturity as I refer to it. <laughs> no, I, I was like, but we, he had a really similar experience. Cause when I was 12, I was, I think when they, when I initially went into the hospital, like I was like a happy kid, like whatever. Cause like when you're a kid, nothing ever is wrong, you know? Well, I mean, I'm broadly speaking from a very privileged space. Um, but I had been really healthy and I had just been getting like overtly tired for probably a month or two leading up to when I finally went to the doctor because it was like picture day and I like woke up and I was so hyped but then I fell back asleep because I couldn't keep my eyes open because I was so tired and then when I went to the doctor um they drew my blood and my hemoglobin was like 5.4 and my lungs were like full of blood and she was like she was like yeah she's anemic and because I was like a gifted student I thought I was smart so my dad told me Cause this is like back in 2005. So we didn't quite have cell phones to the point that we do now. So I called from like the office phone and I was like, mom, I have cancer. Cause I thought anemia and leukemia sounded the same. And I thought I was really <laughs> smart. And that's like, give me the phone. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> but I think we stayed that, that first hospital stay was like 21 days. Um, a couple of chest tubes, a port, you know, you know, the normal, the normal childhood things. Um, yeah. but it was, it was a pretty rough, rough, um, first bout of dealing with it. Um, lucky that we went when we did, or it wouldn't have turned out that way. But, um, the guy that I met through my nonprofit had a really similar, like he was like, Oh, I just kind of might have like a stomach bug or the flu or whatever. And then like, he was blue all of a sudden. <laughs> and, and his wife's like, Oh my gosh. And so, um, I referred him to the same attorney that I went to and he got it in about the same amount of time. And I referred four or five people to that same attorney. If you're in Kentucky, feel free to, um, I'm going to plug Daniel's associates. <laughs> um, but I've, I think I've sent like four people from the nonprofit there and 
because we do like support groups and or we did before COVID. Right now it's not a good time <laughs> for chronically ill people to gather <laughs> together. <laughs> um, but I sent we they've all went through them and they've all been awarded and it's taken, I think, under a year. I think one person had a um denial, but when they went to court, they got it. So heavily advocate for attorneys because the amount of stress that and the burden that's put on us, I feel like as chronically ill people is ridiculous to have to advocate for ourselves, which I guess I understand. But even like with my apartment right now, like they won't give me like a a disabled parking spot. And I'm like, why? Like, why do I have to go to the city and beg these people to do the thing that is right? Like all you're doing is putting up a sign. I don't understand. And the same thing with like disability and things like that. Like why we're already dealing with so much. I don't understand why we should have to take what little energy we have and fight with people who have no idea what our life is like and prove to them that we're sick enough to get help. It's ridiculous to me. Sorry, that's my bitterness coming out. <laughs> no, no, you're good. And I, I, I mean, we all talk about that a lot on, on the podcast because it, I mean, it's one of those things, you know, you, especially if you're, if you're diagnosed at a certain point and it's not something you're living with, you like, you have to change every aspect of your life to accommodate whatever you're diagnosed with. Um, your work life changes, your social life changes, relationships change, everything changes, financial aspect changes. So <clears throat> we're already dealing with our diseases and diagnoses which a lot of chronic illnesses, there's usually fatigue involved in them. So it sucks the energy out of you. Depression mm -hmm. usually comes along, which can do that as well um, and give you a lack of motivation. And on top of that, everyone expects you to be normal. However, at the end of the day, because we have the condition that we have and we're supposed to be you know, given these extra levels of protection under the ADA, we then have to go fight a lot of the time to get those protections which are already granted to us to even become a thing like right it's it's annoying and on top of it you know we're dealing with all this then you have the the financial aspect of it as well um colitis and crohn's are actually i think like the the third most expensive possible diagnosis with the average cost out of pocket if you have insurance in the united states between eight and thirteen thousand dollars a year and I can say, since the start of colitis, I'm pretty on point for for that. It's like, just insane to me. It it completely baffles me. And then it's is like like socially, it's a struggle because I have people that I like grew up with or whatever that I'm friendly with, and they're like, "Well, why don't you have a house? Or why don't you like you? Yeah. You're throwing away your money renting, which makes me want to throw up." <laughs> <laughs> but it makes it so frustrating because. Like, and I'm sure people relate right as well, but like having everything I've done as an adult, I've done sick and I've done at a disadvantage with like, whereas I feel like if you, not that it's better if you get sick older, that's not what I'm saying at all, but there is a vast difference in having been able to establish yourself and like, you know, like in America, like put your nose to the grindstone and, um, and pull yourself up by your bootstraps or whatever you want to say. Like we... I'm going to speak for myself. I'm going to say I, I haven't had the opportunity to do that without winding up in the hospital every six to 18 months for a week at a time at minimum. Like, well, I mean, like 
even with that opportunity a lot of the time it doesn't necessarily help a ton um right like personally i've been in remission for quite a while and when my flare-ups do happen they're fairly short and can generally get them under control i've only been in the hospital twice the first one was a really long one when i was 17 and i was there for almost three weeks um and i learned from it i learned exactly what if something starts happening to talk about it so i'm not in the hospital anywhere near as long um now with that being said still being able to work and i mean going on two years ago now I quit my second job because I was actually working about 70 to 80 hours a week for two years straight. Um, so I was able to grind it out and I can say it didn't help a ton. I have spent in the past eight years, probably between 40 and $50,000 on my disease out of pocket. So it's after what my insurance has covered. And I've been, I've been insured the entire time and I still owe about 15. It's absolutely insane. That's like fifty-five to sixty-five thousand dollars. That's two brand new vehicles. If I were, you know, if I were in a relationship, for example, with someone, that'd be two brand new vehicles. So I wouldn't have to worry about vehicle payments. That's in my area, a massive down payment on a house, because you can get a two to three bedroom house in my area in Virginia for under two hundred thousand. Not brand new, but it's in decent shape. A little bit, you know, a little bit of work into it. So you're paying half to a third of a of a house payment, and that's that's just been my my colitis. That's just how expensive it is. And when it comes to Crohn's and colitis, like that's not a con- uncommon thing. Like that average of eight to thirteen thousand dollars a year per person in the United States. That's the average from the CDC. That's what people are paying out of pocket with insurance. And we're not even, we're like the third most expensive illness. There's, there's other ones that are more expensive and, and that's, that's out of pocket. That's people that are insured. That's the average for insured people, let alone the people that are not insured. And I can't even tell you how many people in the, in the colitis and Crohn's group and mostly in America, but I've seen a couple in other, other countries that are not covered by insurance that are foregoing treatment because they cannot afford it. When I was waiting for disability, I had to do that. Like it came down to like, um, like I lost my insurance because Cobra was so expensive. Like I think I was getting like 800 a month from disability from short term through my employer. And the Cobra was like 680. And, and I have bills. Like I've been like I said, I've been married since I was a kid pretty much. And um, it came down to like, do I pay my, you know, rent or do I get my medicine? And I just was like, forget it. Like I, it is what it is. Like, who cares? I have to have a place to live. And then we still lost our apartment. We still had to move in with his mom. And like, we're really fortunate that that was like an option because otherwise like we would have been, you know, without like a place to live. And it's, it's just been really frustrating to me. And I have people that are like, well, you're lucky you have family. Like, and I, and I get that, but I don't want to be that burden. And then, like I said before, I, I struggle a lot of the times with like, maybe if I did this, then things wouldn't have been so bad. Or maybe if I did that, then things wouldn't have been so bad. And blaming myself really for like the situation where my body is just kind of failing me. It's really frustrating. Yeah. 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 And I get that. And, and 
a lot of the time it's, it's, it's also a challenge because for those, you know, for those of us that don't go the disability route that either aren't at that point where we <clears throat> qualify for it or that don't feel they need to be on it. Like myself, I don't, I could probably qualify, probably have to finagle it, but I am one of the very extreme cases when it comes to colitis and thankfully Remicade keeps in remission. So I could have applied for it at some point and, and been on it if I wanted to. Um, I decided not to because I would go crazy sitting at home all day. Um, and COVID proved that one <laughs> very quickly. Um, but for those of us that still work, there's also that challenge of, you know, what we can and can't do and the level of motivation, the level of drive we're going to bring to that position, for example. Like, I am a very hands-on person. I have a lot of mechanical skills um, and trade-based skills that are hands-on. When you have a chronic illness, especially when you have a, you know, bad bones on top of that, physical labor jobs aren't at the top of the list as far as a suggested job to be doing for, you know, till you're retired. Um, especially being, I fall into more of a mechanic. I went to school for automotive. So I love turning a wrench. I love working on cars. I would love more than anything to be a diesel technician. I'd rather However, that. Yeah. Like being a diesel technician when your body is already broken and turning wrench, turning wrench for a normal person for 20 to 30 years before they retire is not conducive to your body's health. Yeah. Like it's, it's a very demanding job. It's hard on your body. It's hard on your joints. So when you're, you're starting that kind of a job already having bone issues, already having energy issues like that, that just doesn't work. I would love to grind like 60 hours a week being a diesel tech. Cause it's just what, like, I love working on cars. I love diesels in general. Um, but I had to, I accepted a while ago that that's just not a possibility, at least currently with my health. Um, could it be a thing down the road? Yes. I'd have to do a lot of work to get there. I'd have to fix my bones a lot. And then there'd always be that thing. Well, okay. If the job pushes me too hard and colitis acts up, how's that going to work out? Right. So there's a lot of people that are like that. Like they're, they're in jobs that they have to take because they can't do what they want to do. They might be qualified to do what they want to do. They might have the education and, and information to do what they want to do, but their body cannot match the needs based on what they're diagnosed with. And yeah. When, I mean, that, that takes a long time to process, especially if it's something you've wanted to do forever. Like I knew as soon as I went to school for it, like, this is what I like doing. I was like, I've always had, you know, I've had project cars. I've always worked on stuff and it took a long time of kind of lying to myself of like, oh no, you know, I could still go to an apprenticeship program. I could still do that. I could still work on it. It takes a while to get to the point where it's like, no, I, I, I physically can't do that. And there's a lot of people out there that are at that point where it's like they work a retail job, they work a call center job, they work something behind a desk that can accommodate what they have, but they have no desire to be in. Yeah. But they have to pay the bills, they have to, you know, they have to pay rent, they have to take care of their medication. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things that go along with that. It's like, well, you know, I take a job that makes two thirds or half of what I could potentially be making doing what I love, but my body can't handle what I love and I'm qualified for that, but my body can't handle it. 
So when when you look at like those, yeah, I don't have a house kind of thing, or when you look at your social group you grew up with, everyone's starting to have kids and mm. buying that house. It's like, well, they didn't have that restriction. You know, they they could go grind out the the trade job that would destroy the rest of our bodies and it it, yeah. it kind of takes a while to accept that and I think it, it it definitely did for me it has for me and it's like the kid thing that you brought up like that's like something that I've struggled with like we don't have children and we've been together almost a ew, almost a decade gross <laughs> um, we're so old um not really but you just, just got old people problems <laughs> right no kidding man um but like I have friends that have kids and I was talking I actually yesterday I was talking to one of my friends about everything because she's got two little kids and I love them to pieces and she was like maybe it's a good thing that you don't because you couldn't like necessarily keep up with it and and I'm like if I had to it would be different but it is frustrating to see the things that you had hoped for yourself or had hoped for your future with your relationship or your partner or even like you said for your employment like I had a Which, bunch yeah. of things I want to do I didn't want to be on disability like who nobody wants this yeah, um, I mean there's things people are passionate about there's goals that they have and right and it's just the fact that you like you physically can't do it and it's such a reality check and it's so frustrating when you're like a very driven person to like I went from doing like a new hire training at a relatively large business um, in my area to doing retail because I physically couldn't keep up the hours and the days. And then the retail got too much because like you said, like when, um, like I was pulling probably 80 hour weeks too, when I was in management, cause I was covering everybody else and that's retail you know, money is holidays. good. And, yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, yep. I, and I was good at hiring. I was good at training because I had previous experience. So I was like running myself in the ground, but I loved my company. Um, I loved what I was doing. But every time, like I said, Which every one year out of or curiosity? so. Huh? Which one out of curiosity? Oh, they're out of business. It was Payless. Um, oh, shoe store. Okay. Um, I used to work at Best Buy. So I, I did Best Buy for like 10 years. It was always like a second Buy. job, but yeah. Yeah, he did. I think he did nights at Best Buy or um like evenings whatever during the holidays he did that um he liked it a lot too but I I loved my company I did everything I could and I and it was just really frustrating because I would wind up in the hospital with a flare or because someone came to work sick or whatever that was why I had to quit the call center because people would come in sick and you know call centers are packed you know wall to wall with people pretty much. And if you're immunocompromised, you get it. And then I had sepsis twice and every time you get sepsis, it's worse. So it's just like, I could physically probably do it, but not at the expense of like dying. (laughs) Like, no, it got to the point where like my husband and I had sat down and talked and he was like, I love you. And like, I like our lifestyle, but there is no way we can continue it because I don't want to have it and you not be here. Like that's the long of the short, like it's frustrating it's just a really frustrating situation that people like don't understand I didn't I don't think I told my family for a good probably eight months after I filed that I finally filed because they were all like well you can do it I believe in you and and I believe in me too it's not that I don't and you can still work on disability there is just income limits and things like that I don't I have before um and gig and economy work is like really good for disabled people 
but it doesn't have the protections that like general employment does. Um, it's just, yeah. I don't think that life is set up or at least society, maybe not life, life is subjective, but I don't think the society, at least in my part of the United States is set up for people who are um, chronically ill or who aren't the epitome of health rather. It's just not set up that way. So it's a lot of like therapy <laughs> and self-assurance of this is fine. Like this is okay what I'm doing, even though it's not really what I anticipated because I figured if I had been with someone for, you know, a decade that I would have like a little family and a little house and figure I'd be a nurse because you know, I don't know if you had this, but probably not because you said you were in the mechanics, but um, because I spent so much time in hospitals, like when I was younger, I wanted to be like a nurse to help kids. Like people had helped me, but that's not really realistic for someone who's on immunosuppressants to be around a bunch of people with communicative diseases or. I'm going to be like honest. That. I thought about it. I thought about it for a while. Um, I thought about it. And then I started because, because I, I've been around a lot of people that are nurses. I've actually dated a couple nurses in the past and they were the reason that I actually decided against it because the workload, yeah, <laughs> you know, coming, to, coming to terms with the fact that I couldn't, you know, be a mechanic because of the, the stress that it would put on my body. I was like, that's physical stress like it stresses your body and pushes your body to the limit and your body's not there to, to handle those limits being a nurse is not just physical it's physical it's emotional stress it's mm -hmm. mental stress from all the stuff that you're dealing with like <clears throat> i give i give credit to to nurses and and doctors and the healthcare well the the good healthcare providers um because there are those there's, there's the exception to everything um, but yeah no I, I had thought about it and it's it's hard because usually a lot of things you're passionate about they, they do require that <clears throat> level of effort that your body can't handle um but yeah. yeah no it's it's a challenge because I mean personally I had to actually just recently turn down a position being a diesel technician um Mm -hmm. where in a couple of years I'd be making double what I make now. And as much as I wanted to take it, like I wanted to take it so bad. It was, it was such a good position, such good benefits, but knowing where my body's at and knowing I have to do at least 20 to 25 years to retire with benefits, I just don't see my body handling it. And it, it was, it was challenging. I'm not gonna lie. Like, turning it down because you look at I mean you look at the dollar sign you're like man double income would be great pay off my you know pay off my debt all the medical stuff but what if I get into it in three years and can't handle it and either get you know let go or have to quit then it's like okay where do I go from there yeah so it's it's yeah it's it's challenging and it I'm definitely not where I thought I would be for 27 I feel like I would I would have already had a house by now with like a garage and a couple project cars to work on because I like the amount of projects and things that I have in my head that I'm waiting to do that colitis and being you know having a chronic illness just keeps pushing back that gets frustrating as well like I'm 
I'm going to make it happen. Like, there's a couple of cars I want to build. There's a couple of places I want to go. It's going to happen. It's just taking a very long time to make it happen. No, I get that. And it and it goes back to the the how much I've spent in the past eight years. Like, that would have been three project cars if I would have just focused solely that income on on project cars. That would be like three projects done. That's just wild to me. So, the whole situation is wild. Yeah. So yeah. And props to you for actually paying for all of that because I have so much debt that I don't even know how much I owe these hospitals. I have paid very little on any of it because when I was working or even um well yeah pretty much when I was working and then because of COVID and stuff with him being laid off um like we took out loans or credit cards or whatever to pay for stuff in gap when I couldn't work like so we have a ton of miscellaneous random debt that you can't do like you just have to plug away at later at like a 20 whatever percent interest rate because we're not smart but most of it um most of it honestly for me has been infusion based um from my infusions because my infusions cost about eight thousand dollars in infusion before insurance kicks in um i've had to pay for a couple of them completely that i'm still paying off because even being covered fully the entire time i've had colitis there was some issues with changing insurance where they didn't want to cover a couple of them um but the problem with that is for someone like myself where it's where it's your medication is where you're getting all your debt from because of how expensive it can be you don't have the option not to pay it right because if you don't pay it you don't get your medication your doctor's That's office doesn't i have paid is like the doctor's yeah. offices that will drop you if if you don't pay them their yeah, copay and stuff, or if or the medication which some of it like you said like i think they're a texan i don't even know how much it is after insurance because i um have had some assistance with stuff like that but i know it's up in there it's like i think it's over ten thousand for a rituxan infusion uh, it's ridiculous it's ridiculous the i understand that heard- some of it is the highest I've heard for Remicade, depending on where it's been done, um, I heard in the colitis group, somebody had, it was about $25,000 in infusion before their insurance paid for it because they were doing it through their local hospital because none of the doctor's offices offered it. And that's the same medication I get for eight grand because I go through my doctor's office because they have an actual infusion room. So I don't have to go to the hospital where they charge more for that kind of stuff. But yeah, 20, 25 $25,000 every two months for your medication because the, the average person is on it every eight weeks. I'm on it every six weeks because I fall under severe colitis and every eight weeks it wasn't covering it. So we bumped it up to every six. Mm-hmm. So yeah, 25 grand every eight weeks, every two months. So what, 100, 150 a year? So if that, if that person that was paying for that didn't have insurance, they'd be expected to spend $150,000 a year to stay alive. I think that's what we make in like five years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely obscene. So. And that's to keep you semi-functional as a human being. Because not everybody 
that's getting those infusions, that infusion's 100% doing what it needs to do. Yep. Well, everybody's body is different. So the way that they react to treatment or disease is different. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's being broken is expensive in the United States. <laughs> it's very expensive. And <clears throat> yeah, the system that's in place for, for healthcare is not a very good one. It's great if you're healthy. If you're not healthy, good luck. I know. My uh, uncle was trying to tell me that I needed to get like whole life insurance. I was like, I don't think that works for people like me. And his daughter had like a heart issue when she was born, but her surgeries has corrected it. And he's like, but she gets it. And I'm like, yeah, she's not on like a whole bunch of things and in the hospital every 18 months. Like it's a little bit different when you're chronically ill versus you have not to, not to minimize that, but people don't want to insure you. Like whenever I was, um, you can still get it houseless it's just very or whatever. Expensive. Yeah. Well, whenever I was like houseless or whatever, I couldn't even get health insurance because my husband, like we, we just, it's just us. And he made, I think like a thousand dollars too much a year. Ridiculous. So I just didn't have insurance because <laughs> I'm married. And then I, like the friend that I had talked about and previously um she lost I think her disability when she got married like she had never worked because her kidneys failed and she just got a kidney amen but um she's really excited about it on St. Patrick's Day and um and so now maybe she can work but do you want to risk like your kidney so it's just like I said things aren't set up for thing for life for life to be well, it's, it's I don't want to say enjoyable, too. but it's rough. It's one of those things too. Those those programs when they have a you know a, a cap on what you can make, they don't take into account how much you're spending on your your disease or your diagnosis right. every year. Like you can't make, say, married for example, say you can't make more than forty thousand dollars a year, but you make forty two. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you have sixty thousand a year in medical expenses. Like, how's that going to work? Right. You're already you're already in the negative just on medical expenses, let alone living, food, insurance for your car, transportation. I think for us in our area of Kentucky, I want to say for two people, it was twenty eight thousand a year, and that we couldn't get assistance because of that. I think you made thirty. Yeah, absolutely yeah. obscene. And they have medications where one dosage costs over thirty grand a year. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but that's your fault because you're not trying hard enough. No, I'm kidding. It's just sarcasm, but it's just, it's very, it's not to be like, woe is me, but there, it is an incredible disadvantage that I think people, at least with invisible illnesses as well, people just assume, like, oh, it could be you're not doing, it could be something that you're not doing or things, in my experience at least. Yep. Well, you don't look that bad. You look fine. Oh yeah, yeah. Awesome. Thanks. I've heard that before. I've heard that. I've heard that in retail. That's a common one in retail. When you yeah. Sales. They expect a lot out of you, and God forbid you don't have the full amount of energy to give them what they want. I had this lady one time when I was in retail. I was just me. I think it was just me and her in the store. And when she went to leave, she had said something to the effect of that 
I think her foot was swollen or something. And she was like, you know, we could actually be sick. Aren't you glad we're not? And then she like kind of walked out and it just, I don't know why, but the way that she said it, like, cause she was like, yeah, we could be sick or something. And then it just, I just sat there like, oh, I got out of the hospital like two months ago and I'm on oxygen at home, but okay. <laughs> it's good that you're doing good. Like, <laughs> I, I didn't say anything. It just, it's just, it was so like, like, I guess I just like, it was so like dissociating for me. It was so difficult to like, I understand that like my, the people's perception of me was like, oh, she's fine and healthy. She's just like, obviously got an eating problem or obviously she can't control herself or whatever. It was just so weird to me that, cause I guess so, I've been sick for so long and I have cultivated the people around me to not say things that would aggravate me, I guess. Um, you know, mood swings and all. <laughs> but, <laughs> Good old prednisone. I know. <laughs> but I just, it was just so odd to me that, that people can look and not tell. And it's good. And it's, I guess it's good in a way that you, it's like a camouflage, I guess, from a different level of like emotional scarring, I suppose. But it was just really surreal to me. It was so weird that she, like of all the people, of all the things to say, that's what she said. It was so strange. Yep. Yep. That's the problem with looking normal, but not being normal. Yeah, no kidding. Especially in retail. People people in retail are just monsters, especially during the holiday season. It's rough. I think my worst experience working though was probably in the call center because I had I, I had a cough because like my lungs don't work right. And I guess it was really annoying to the other people who were on the phones. And my boss was like, I'm just going to stick you in a closet. I'm like, mm, no, you're not. <laughs> so it was the most frustrating thing. It was such a, like, it was so little, but it like, to me, it kind of felt like dehumanizing the way that he went about it. Because he was like, seriously, like talking to HR to see if they could move me somewhere where I wouldn't bother people. Because I was like, I just couldn't breathe, so I would have a call. It was so weird. Life is weird, but whatever. <laughs> yep, yep. That's private. That's private side for you. When you work work for a private company, they kind of just do what they want and skate around the rules. Sometimes just, over them. Yeah, no kidding. It's just weird. And they they come up with a reason of why they didn't have to follow it or an excuse. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's. Especially retail. I, I dealt with that a lot with retail. And call center too. Yeah. I only had my issues. The only time I ever had problems though was when I would either right before going to the hospital and I was flaring up and I just didn't have the energy to keep up with my normal pace. Mm -hmm. Or after getting out and coming back, trying to get rid of me because I was out for a certain amount of time. Yeah, that was my experience when I came back from the lot, like when, when, like when I was in the hospital at the retail job, um, while I was in the hospital, they were like, cause I don't know if you've ever been in retail, but for management, like they'll bother you all of the time, whether you're there or not. I think that's management anywhere. Um, but they were like, 
calling me for stuff. I was like, I'm in the hospital. I can't do anything for you. Call somebody else. And then my, I told my boss, I was like, maybe you guys could like mitigate this because I'm under a lot of stress anyways. I don't really need to be dealing with this. She's like, maybe if you did your job better, <laughs> they would be calling you. <clears throat> I, and so, well, that's what I, I did. In, I, I found just, a different job. I just, yeah. uh, I, I went the FMLA route. I, I've signed the uh, FMLA, so you have what, like, two months, six weeks, something like that. Six weeks, while. six to eight oh. weeks. Yeah, depending yeah. on where you're at. Six to eight weeks, and I did it there too. She just, just the way that she handled it. I think I had a new job within like a week, and that's when I went to the call center. No, I was, I just was, I was never... very specific. I said I'm taking this time off because I need it because I'm in the hospital. I said if you guys call me at all for anything other than for like a quick update anything work related like i'll be charging you guys by the hour and i'm like and it's gonna be overtime mm-hmm. i said do not bother me i don't have the energy or the mental capacity yeah no i didn't have that big of a backbone at that point but i found a new job in a heartbeat and she was like well, I don't understand. Like, I think my review was the day before I put in my notice. And she's like, you're doing such a great job. We're going to give you more responsibility. <laughs> I was like, I already knew I had a, a job offer and they had matched my salary for the raise that she was giving me. So I was like, well, I'll go. And then she called me, I think the following Monday. And I was like, you know, we don't hire everybody back, which is funny now that they're not in business. And I was like, that's cool. I'll work at McDonald's. I'm not working for someone who can't respect me. Yep. I have... I don't know if it's because I've been sick for so long or because of just the way that I am, but I have very low tolerance for people mistreating me because of being sick or saying that it's my fault. Like I do that enough. I don't need you to tell me it's my fault. It gets, it gets, it gets old. It gets, it gets old quick. And I mean, depending on how every person is as an employee personally, I give everything that I have energy wise to give on my good days. It's a hundred 150%, 120%, 150%, 120%, depends on the day. On my bad days, I'm sorry, it might be like 30%, but that's 100% for me for the day. It might seem right. low compared to normal. So like, and and I, I communicated a ton around it. Like, hey, you know, this is what I'm dealing with. If you guys need me to take time off or whatever it is, like I tried working with them and you're still not happy with it. Like, nah, I don't play those games. Yeah, I did FMLA before, like in the call center. And I think between sepsis events that I had the first sepsis, I don't, it was it was bad because like obviously sepsis is horrible, but it wasn't nearly as bad as the second time because um, it was such a close call the last time. But um, I don't think, I think for a year, I might've worked two or three days a week because I had intermittent. So I just, if I felt bad or if I couldn't, manage I just stayed home and they couldn't you know they couldn't let me go so they weren't they weren't thrilled but they didn't say anything and then you have people at work being like oh it must be nice to take off all the time like well it'd be nice for me to get out of bed not hurt or you know be able to walk to my car and and breathe (laughs) but sure maybe an off is better I had some of that with the COVID with COVID because um you know where I'm working now they they did something for a while where people that were high risk didn't have to come into work. They were allowed to be on admin leave because um, it was something that was outside of our control. And there were some people at work that were like super salty about it. 
like, oh, it must be nice to stay home. I'm like, oh, it must be nice to go to work because you're a normal person and don't have a ton of medical debt. Like, right. Well, that's my thing. Like, functional. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I get like really aggressive. I don't, I don't like to think of myself as like a very aggressive person, maybe more assertive, but I would get like incredibly angry with people that would say things like that to me. I would just be like, you have no idea, blah, 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 blah. And I think that's why, like, when it came to, like, workplace situations, I would just leave because I was, I was like, there's really no, like, and even now, like, literally everybody's hiring. So for me, there was no reason I, like, always knew I could find something else. So I was like, there was no reason for me to stay in a situation where people were going to talk crazy to me about, well, you should um, be, like, happy that you're sick or, or I don't know if this bothers people as much as it bothers me, but the, it could be worse. People really drive me nuts. Like, oh, there aren't, there aren't words for people that <laughs> say, well, you know, it could be worse. Well, it could be a lot better too, but you don't want to hear that. So thanks. Yeah. I mean, I, I have. Again, there's the bitterness. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I have, a, I guess, a different way of looking at it personally. I'm not a fan of having colitis at the end of the day. It'd be nice if I didn't. Right. Um, I am grateful for everything that I've learned and kind of where I'm at because of it. And the way I look at it and refer to it as my, my three P's. So I believe very strongly that pain puts things into perspective and that perspective can give you a purpose. And as much as colitis has been a pain over the past 10 years, I think that's exactly what it's done. Was it the ideal situation? No. But I guess I am finding the uh, the purpose and drive behind it, finally. So mm-hmm. yeah, I can understand that. I feel like I'm like that in the in a in a way. I'm not. I don't like for for a long time. I think I walked around really angry at the world, and I think that's where a lot of that residual like, well, things could be better. And I think that people say that a lot of the times, even though they might want to think that they mean well, I think it's really invalidating. So it's a difficult um, space for me to navigate. But like, I have kind of come to the conclusion that things can be good. Um, and, And just because the situation that I'm in is difficult, like I'm not unhappy. Like I'm happy with my spouse. I'm happy with my life. I'm happy with the freedom that I have, like, am I, am I tickled pink that I don't have, that I don't get to work because a lot of people say that you have to work. I really thoroughly enjoyed working. I am that type of person. Like it didn't matter where I worked. I was always happy about it because I liked being productive. I tied a lot of my self-worth to productivity and I was great at everything I did. Like I was, you know, like I said, in training for everything, I trained at all the jobs that I did. I led training programs at all the jobs that I had. Like I just, it was something that I was really passionate about. And I liked, it didn't matter where I was, I liked doing things and I liked doing things well and I liked doing things correctly. Um, it's just the type of mind frame, I guess, that I have. Yeah. But I think that having this disease, um, having the type of vasculitis that I have and the situations that I've been in because of it has kind of given me the ability to look at things differently. And it, it so- just, It gives you that perspective. Right. Like, I just, like, it's like, not a I great think we talk to have, but it, it does give it to you. Well, I mean, it, 
everything is relative, right? So like we said earlier about like not getting to do, like I didn't get to be a nurse and I didn't get to have like the ideal family. And for a long time, I struggled with that, which is off topic, but um, family isn't just like with kids. I struggled with that for a very long time. Um, but, But I'm like, I'm happy with my life. Like I get to do what I want with my husband, even though I can't work the way that I would like to. Like I have the freedom to, if I don't feel well, I can take care of that. And I don't, since I've been on disability, I have been hospitalized for two days to get one infusion because I had a bad reaction before. Like, like I didn't like my life, even though it's not what I pictured was it's, it's good. It's not, I don't know. I'm even though it's, there is so much to be frustrated with. I feel like out of my friend group, out of the people that I like, am close with or that I speak with on a regular basis and I'm not saying this to be mean I don't mean it in a mean way but I feel like I worry the least and I'm the most content with my situation and I feel like that that's because of being sick maybe or at least like you said the perspective that it gives you well yeah because at the at the end of the day um we understand what it is to really be dealing with something we've had you know we've had our every everyone with a chronic illness or disabilities had that that low point where you're at your lowest of of low that comes with your diagnosis that's when it's flaring up the most it's when you're, you're dealing with the most pain that's when the the diagnosis itself is, is at its worst possible case and you still you know making it through it um and once you get through that and past that kind of low, everything else isn't necessarily fun, but you remember how bad it could potentially be. And I mean, I find a lot of the times looking at that, it's like, okay, well, I made it through that. So as uncomfortable as the small situation is, it's nowhere near as bad as it's been. Right. Whereas a lot of people, they've never dealt with anything. They they don't have that extreme to compare to that they've ever personally experienced. So they don't understand where they could be. And I it I don't want it to sound like you know it 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 could be worse, but it's kind of that viewpoint of, you know, what it's like to be worse, right? You know, what worse is, and you're thankful that you're not dealing with it. However, where you're at is still not fun. And and I think that's relative too. And I want to like clarify as well. Like, I, I don't mean that like you can't acknowledge that things could be worse. I I just don't. And I, in my life and my experience, I've had people say that as like an invalidating tool to minimize what I've dealt with. And what I've dealt with has been, pretty extreme (laughs) like I see the um, usage of it as like not addressing the issue just saying stop crying about it that's how I view that that terminology whereas you know and and that's kind of why I take that that separate approach of like you know I'm grateful for the growth that it's given me however (laughs) it hasn't been fun along the way kind of thing And that's, I mean, that's, that's just how I view things is if if it's, if it's going to suck and it's going to be painful to go through, 
I try to at least learn something through from it. So at least if it happens again, it doesn't suck as much. That's that's how I view things. Like if it's gonna suck, I'm gonna try to learn how to make it suck less next time. Um, so I don't know. I, I think I have a very different way of looking at things compared to a good chunk of the community though. No, I I don't know. I appreciate it. I like I like that. But I don't know, like like I said, things are relative and I think that understanding that for me has been really freeing. The like I don't know and and I don't know if it's gonna sound crazy, but in like the grand scheme of things, nothing is really ever good or really, really bad. It's just it is what it is. Like it might be difficult or it might be easier um, to like deal with. But like when I like when I dropped the like does like designating like this is a good thing that happened to me and this is a bad thing to happen to me and just kind of went with like well all of this happened and what I do with this now is what's important and I quit like like I said I walked around really angry for a really long time because of the things that I had dealt with and things that I had been through and I just when I let go of that and I kind of started to look at things like well financially I'm not really where I want to be but I'm still doing these things that like make me happy. Like I went to like the Dollar Tree and I bought a like a fake succulent, which is stupid, but like it made it made me laugh or whatever. You know what I mean? Like just little things that I'm doing to make myself more content and not kind of stressing. Like oh well, what about this? Well, what about that? Because it, it works out or it won't. Like there's really and I put myself through. Like, like what we talked about earlier, how we talked about um, waiting for the other shoe to drop or things get too comfortable or whatever. Um, like when I, when I don't do that and I just accept that things are how they are and I only have to go through whatever I'm going to go through the one time, I don't have to put myself through it from here until next Tuesday over and over and over and over again, like thinking about what it could be or what I could do or how it could suck or how it could be great. And I just like live in the moment, which I know sounds so cheesy, but it's been so good for like my mental health and even my physical health, because at least for my disease, like the stress, and I know a lot of autoimmune, the stress will, that you put on yourself will like can cause a flare. Yep. And, and so like when I let go of like a lot of the expectations of like where I should be and what I should be doing, how things should be and how I, thought they might be but they're not quite there and I quit like putting myself through the ringer all day every day like it's been like I said I'm, I'm probably like one of the most content people that I know and it doesn't mean that everything's perfect and it doesn't mean that I feel great all the time it just means that like it is what it is and I'm not going to be you it's, know beating myself up or hollering about it or whatever all day every day from here till whenever it's that's one of the things I learned very, very early on and kind of figured out how to master. Managing stress is super important when you have a disease that's reactive to stress, which Crohn's and colitis are. Learning to turn off stress when it's everything that you can't control is so important. And 
I figured out how to do it pretty pretty quickly. Once I figured out that Unistress was creating more issues with the colitis, I figured out, and I had, had that mindset, you know, if it's outside of my control, I'm not going to stress about it. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to control what's in my realm. Um, <clears throat> and I think that that bothers a lot of people. It bothers a lot of people because I find a lot of time it looks like you don't care about things, but it's like, you know, not that I don't care, it's just I don't have control over it, so it doesn't concern me. Yeah. Um, I've had people say that too, and honestly, I think one of my friends had said that, they're like, do you even care? And I'm like, does it matter if I do? Like, like, not that, again, not to be nasty, but like, it really doesn't change the situation. Yeah. So like me put investing all of this emotional energy into something because I'm so like upset or outraged by it or whatever. Like it's not, it's not doing anything to change the actual people what's going on. So mad at that. They get That's so mad problem. sometimes. <laughs> well, it's it's it they get so mad. Like I've had my fair share of toxic relationships. And when when you drop that kind of a response when they're expecting it, this like massive overdrawn, like, you know, response from you. And you're just like, you know what? It is what it is. Like, I can't control that. So that how, that's how it is. That's how it is. Like, what do you want from me? And, Mm -hmm. and I think it really bothers people when they're, when they're expecting a certain response, respecting a certain action for something that you don't even like, okay. Well, it's not ideal, but I had zero to do with anything that led up to this. So why am I worried about it? Oh, that's right. I'm not. I think people are so like driven again in my area, in my society, like in the society that we live in um, to like hold on to things that are like not their business. And I think social media as much as like, you know, it's a novelty or whatever. I think it really like feeds into that of like, you can be involved in so many things that aren't really relevant to like your well-being or your health. And then I feel like as far as like relationships go, I've had friends that are like, well, you should, you should fight for this or you should like a friend of mine in particular, I uh, was having a flare and he was like, well, when you're that big, of course you're going to have a hard time breathing. Like, never mind the fact that I've had 16 years of lung damage. Like, of course, it's, it's that I'm fat. Like, that's fine, which it is what it is. It's not, I, I, that's, I'm not like, you know, beating myself up or whatever. Like, it is what it is. Everything that I've done in my life has served a purpose to get me to where I am and to get me to survive the things that I've survived. And I'm, I'm okay with that. Like, am I tickled pink that that's how it is? And like, not, not honestly, but I will do what I can when I can to make things different. And so I kind of just cut him out and a mutual friend of ours was like, I don't know if I would have done that. I was like, well, you weren't the one doing it. Like, I don't, I just don't feel the need to argue all the time or just sit there and like advocate for someone to treat me like a human. And I under, and it's not that I'm like, super sensitive to things I really try hard to mitigate like my feelings and to understand like what's my responsibility and what's other people's responsibility in relationships and if I don't feel like not that it's not worth it it's not that I want bad things to happen to this person like I'm 
I hope that they have a fantastic life. I'm just not interested in putting that much energy into things that you can't change someone's perspective of like, you know what I mean? If they're, if they're dead set on feeling a certain way about something, I'm not going to sit there and argue until I'm like blue in the face to try to make you more compassionate or to try to make you understand. Like there's just no, it doesn't serve a purpose for me. I don't know um, if that makes sense. No, no, it does. And I have a, I have a very, very, I guess, specific view on things like that so when it comes to people like that I have over the years especially when you're dealing with the chronic illness depression and, and you're in your head a lot you will say the worst things to yourself that you will ever hear in your life mm. and the way that I look at it is if I hear any of those things repeated from somebody else around me they don't need to be around me I've already told myself it. I've, I've said it to myself at one point, whether it's you know, weight, medication, finances, whatever it is. So if I hear some of those things that cross like that negative threshold, where if I hear it from another person, like I, I don't need to hear it from you because I've told myself that before in the past. Right. So well, if, if that comes out of people, it's like, all right, you no longer serve a purpose and you're not, you're not being... You're not part of that positive average that I need. So I'm just going to go ahead and move you out of here. Like you're an average and of the people that you surround yourself with. So when you have negative people in your life, it's going to affect how you think. And at the end of the day, that's the most important thing is, you know, how you view yourself because everybody has their lows of chronic illnesses and getting away from that is challenging. So right. when you start to hear those things that you've told yourself repeated by somebody else that's in your circle, they don't belong in your circle. And there's, there's, you do not have to justify that whatsoever. Well, like I had told, like his roommate had called me and was like, Hey, you should maybe talk to him. He's really upset. And I was like, I was really upset. I'm not, and I'm, and it's not, it's not that it's untrue. Like I'm not stupid. Like I, I own a mirror. Like it's, I'm not mad about that. It's just the fact that if, I don't say things that don't serve a purpose. And I feel like that some people in friends groups, they like, and we've been friends for several years. So they're like, you're just going to throw away your friendship like that. And I was like, eh, kind of, I guess. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think, I don't, I can't imagine that you've had very much respect for me the whole time. If that's really how you feel about things. Like, well, it's, mm. and, and the way, the way that I tell people to respond about that, it's like, I'm not the one that threw it away. You did when you said that. It's just not, it's just not something to me, like, and, and let me know if you relate, because I feel like because of my disease and because of the things I've been through, like, you know, getting diagnosed in like middle school, like middle school sucks for everybody, <laughs> but it really sucks when you're like a hundred pounds heavier and you have moon face because of the steroids. Um, I and, actually got diagnosed right after high school because I graduated early. What? Lucky. I got it. So I... <laughs> I graduated summer break and went to my grandparents' vacation house. I got food poisoning because the food mm. that we got, I mean, when you're on an island, when you're in the vacation area, my grandparents weren't the greatest at cooking. So I got food poisoning. The food poisoning put too much of a stress on my digestive tract. So it caused the colitis to come out, which was a hereditary factor because my, my dad has colitis. Um, so yeah, I had actually graduated, so I didn't have to deal with it in school. Thank God. That would have been horrible. 
Yeah, but I just like the things that I went through with the way people treated me. And honestly, even as an adult, the way people have treated me like, and how isolating like chronic illnesses, like I would never, like, I am not a good person. Like, I'm not a bad person, but I know that there are a lot of things that I try to work on and I'm not like the best person ever. Like, don't misconstrue that. But I would never, in my right mind, because I do struggle with mental health, um, but in my right mind, I would never put someone in a situation that would make them feel how I have felt because of my illness or because of my mental health and how isolating all like the whole situation is. I don't want people to feel as badly or as alone as I have felt in my life. And I don't know if that's similar for everybody that's chronically ill or if it's, I, I highly doubt it's unique to me, but I don't want other people to feel poorly about themselves or to feel alone or hurt because I have felt that way for a big portion of my life because of the situations that I've been in with my health. And so I can't fathom or understand people who would put someone that's already in a bad situation and be like, hey, you know what would sound good? Feel worse because you suck. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just, well, that's... that's not the type of person I want to be around. And not that they're like that all of the time because no one is wholly one anything. Like you're not wholly bad or you're not wholly good. Like you're a mix. And so I'm not saying he's like the worst person I've ever met in my life. That's not true. But it's just not something that I really want to put my energy into. And I feel like people, at least our age roundabouts, are so into like ride or dies or like give everybody your everything and pour from the emptiest cup ever because other people are more important than you. And I just don't subscribe to that. So maybe that makes me horrible. I don't know. Well, I mean, <laughs> at, the end, at the end of the day, um, you know, what we deal with, a lot of people don't understand because it's, it's, they've never experienced it. And the way that I look at it, and, and part of the, the purpose of this podcast is to create a resource. Um, and the purpose behind it is, you know, when I was down at that lowest point, I didn't have the resource. I didn't have this resource. So I'm creating a resource that I wish I had when I needed it. And yep. when you have that kind of mindset of like, you know, where you were at and where you are now, and you know what it, the kind of growth and understanding and changes that you've had to go through to deal with that, people that aren't willing to take the time to understand that and accept it, it just, they don't fit in what you're doing. And it's, I mean, I, I can the amount of people that I've cut out of my life because of my chronic illness, including direct family. I don't talk to a massive chunk of my family because it's just, they're, it's not conducive. They have, they have no part in being in my life because they don't take the time and understanding. They don't put that effort behind it. So it's, it's not a loss to me. Like I have a small circle and it's amazing. Like I have some awesome people that I surround myself with. And that wouldn't have happened if I wasted all my time with people that didn't want to be there and didn't deserve to be there. Yeah, that's super true. So at the, at the end of the day, like, yeah, we will drop someone super fast because we put those standards in. And it's, I think it comes from when you're diagnosed with a chronic illness, or you have a specific diagnosis, you have limitations that you put on yourself um whether it's willingly or forcefully because of what you're diagnosed with 
you understand those limitations. And that carries over to people that you interact with. You understand, all right, you know what? Anything beyond this line behavior-wise, it's not worth my time. And once you accept that, like moving, you know, getting rid of someone, it's like, okay. That's how I feel. And then that's, like I said, his roommate had reached out and I was like, we're, he, I think is 30 and I'm almost 30. And I feel like if you need to be educated on how to treat people at this stage, like you need to see a professional. (laughs) It's just above my pay grade at this point in my life. And I'd, and to your point as well about like creating the resource that you wish you had. That's why I made the Chronic Illness Alliance. Um, it's the nonprofit that I created. And I, I thought about doing a support group just for my disease because I was like, well, you know, there's not like a vasculitis support group out here. But then I thought about how I felt when there are like cancer support groups here or, you know, um, whatever, different support groups that didn't include my chronic illness because it's rare. And so that, and so I was like, well, I don't want to do just that. I want it to be like a lot of us, and I'm sure you've, you've, you know, gathered this with your podcast. A lot of us, even though our diagnosis is so different, like if it's autoimmune, if it's chronic, like we, we all face very similar obstacles, might not be the exact same, like, like, for instance, like color of house or, you know, shade of green, but it's, it's all about the same issues. I say you know it I mean? all the time, all the time. Like I say it so often, almost as much as my, you know, my intro that I put on the podcast. Everybody that deals with a major health issue, we can all relate to 70 to 80% of the same stuff. Yeah. How we're treated, work life, social life, doctors, medications, medical expenses, like it's the same experiences different doctors different specialists different reasons same end result same frustration same lack of communication across the board that 20 to 30 percent is specific to what you're diagnosed with i mean like myself food restrictions because i have colitis that is specifically restricted to colitis you don't have any food restrictions because you're you know your diagnosis is lung-based i'm sure certain things don't help it but it doesn't specifically trigger it. Well, as far as I'm aware. No, it doesn't. Or You're like correct. I've interviewed some people with, I've actually had a lot of people on lately with autism and you know, ADHD. Their diet has zero effect on causing their, you know, their condition or their diagnosis. It's, it's, a, it's just how their brain works. It's right. So they deal with things differently. And, and, you know, that 20 to 30%, your community, your small community, your specific communities are great resources for that. But people need to understand that 70 to 80%, you can talk to anyone that's gone through pretty much anything and you can relate to it. I had someone on a couple months ago now that they came on to talk about addiction. Um, and the amount of things that we were able to relate to and, you know, addictions on a completely different side of the, the medical spectrum. It was, it was kind of uncanny how much, how many things related when you would think, oh, you know, I can't have that much in common with someone that was, went through addiction. Like 
we all deal with so much of the same stuff. And that's, that's why there needs to be that large community because you can deal with that 70 to 80% and you have this massive wealth of information across all these different illnesses that still applies, especially when you have a rare disease that doesn't have a giant pool of information that you can go pick from. Crohn's and colitis, I mean, the Crohn's and colitis awareness page has like 120,000 people on it. So if you post a question, you get quite a few answers. I've talked to some people that have really rare diseases. Well, they don't even have Facebook groups or people that you can talk to. You're just stuck relying on your, your doctor. And if you don't have that group to ask, hey, my doctor's doing something, what do you feel about this? Like the chronic community in general, I mean, and I've, I've started expanding it even to the terminal community, like their diagnosis is killing them at a rapid rate. And there's still a ton of things that we all relate with. Well, yeah, for sure. So, no, I, I, I think that they're, I believe very strongly that a lot of the small communities need to start pulling together to create one large community because we deal with so much of the same thing and we can do so much more with that, with that power behind it. But yeah, I completely agree. Before COVID, like we were growing rapidly, like we had a really successful benefit concert um, that we we actually did over in Indiana, um, and we like on Rare Disease Day because it was I was so tickled. It was such a good event. Um, it was so successful, and I was really excited. But with COVID and our ability to like really get out, and then I've been dealing with like a flare as well it's difficult to continue like on that pace, but once things like once more people get vaccinated or once it gets more under control in any way, shape or form that that, you know, is able to be handled better. Um, I would really like to continue to grow the nonprofit because there are there, like, like what we were talking about earlier, there is a huge financial burden on people like us and there is not often any type of relief for that and that's why and the friend that I cut out has cancer and that's really what inspired me to do it because he was in the hospital um getting treatment or whatever and he got so much assistance and so much help and I'm not I just lost an aunt to cancer um ovarian and uterine cancer so I'm not slamming that at all but and I'm glad that there is that assistance but at some like someone needs to help people like us where we are financially broken and I'm not saying like come in and take, you know, all of the burden away, but there needs to be programs for people like us that we can get help when, you know, your medication is, you know, 13,000, what is not that what you said, eight to 13 a year. Yep. Like there needs to be things that pocket. we can, yeah, that we can reach out for and get help because that's not realistic. If you can't, if you can't establish yourself, if you can't like, if you do get so sick, you can't work like, like how I did, like it would have been nice. Like you said, creating the community that you wish you had, it would have been nice to have someone help me help navigate, like how to apply for disability, help navigate, how to get medic, like how to apply for Medicare, because my grandparents are so old that they don't remember because yep. it's been, you know, years and years. My parents are too young because, you know, they're not old enough to file for Medicare. So it's just thing after thing after thing that I had to navigate by myself as like a 24, 25 year old. And I had no idea because no one really knew. And so that's, that was like my main drive for setting up the nonprofit. Like we, 
we, I started with a support group we met like three times and it was um, a couple with the older gentleman that that's so rude I hope he doesn't hear this I don't mean that I'm sorry Ron um, but um, him and his wife who have been an absolute benefit to me I met them and then I met um, someone that had myositis um, dermatomyositis and she, that's a rare disease and so we all met and we were like and I told them like my kind of like wish list for what I wanted the support group to be and they're like let's do it and we all three sat up and met up we were meeting like every week before the pandemic started and before she before um Caitlin that has um the dermatomyositis before she moved back home out of state like we got it um put in and we got our nonprofit status. We were able to get everything handled. We were having support groups every week, twice a week. And it was just something that was like really, really beneficial, but she's in a flare, I'm in a flare. Ron just got out of one. So <laughs> right now we're just kind of like trying to get our sea legs back, I guess. And then once things kind of die down and we're starting to get in a better spot, I really want to kind of grow that because we need to have resources as a chronic illness community, like rare disease or not. Like we need people that are gonna understand where we're at and we need to be able to advocate for more community support. Like even outside of just like the chronic illness, like the people like in my city, in my town, like they want to help, they just don't know how. And that was really apparent when we did the rare disease event. I think it, we, it was called like Rock Your Rare Disease and we had this big event. And the outpouring from the community was beautiful. It was so nice and everybody was so happy to help. And it would be if we can find avenues to like advocate for that and to kind of join together and get like the fact that what we deal with is so, you know, cohesive apart from, like you said, that 20 to 30% if we can pull together in that way, I think it could be really beneficial for all of us. I want something bigger. So here's, here's how I view the, the purpose of bringing all the different diagnoses together. Crohn's and colitis as of 2015 for the CDC has a 1.4% rate in the US. 2015, that was around 3 million people. Now it's probably around 4 million-ish in total. The Crohn's and Colitis Awareness Group on Facebook is the largest group, support group, kind of in the easy accessible area. There's 120,000 people. That's what, like a 6% roughly, 6% of the community? Yeah. 120,000 people. 6% of the community, if something were to happen legislation-wise, government-wise, that affects Crohn's and colitis, it's 120,000 people that would maybe we get 70, 80,000 of those people that would, that would try to do some sort of a response to whatever's going on. It's not enough. It's not enough at all. If you could pull all the chronic communities together to one large community. Not only would it be a large of a, enough of a voice to do something if something were to come up legislation-wise that affects the chronic community, any part of it, 
we would have enough people to start forcing change. And that's one of the problems I have with individual groups. And it's when you look at, look at history, the only way that you can control the people is you divide and separate all those people, and then you can, can control what they do. And that's how I see the chronic community, the disabled communities, we're all divided by our individual groups, which has its purpose for the, you know, that 20 to 30% of information. However, a lot of those groups stop at those subgroups. They don't go beyond that. So you have tens of millions of people in the United States spread out between all these different groups that are all essentially pushing for the same thing. They're pushing for a better healthcare system. They're pushing for a better understanding of what we deal with. However, they're all spread out. You got a group of 30,000 over here. You got a group of 100,000 over here. Maybe you have a big group of like 500,000 over here. But none of those numbers are enough to make a change in a country that has 300 and what, like 26 million people. And when you pull all those groups together, and you start to have 10, 20, 30, maybe 40 million people that are specifically affected by one of these conditions. Then you add all of the people that are attached to them, their family members, close friends that are in their, their circle, you know, their social group that are really on board with a lot of those kind of issues that you deal with and those people that understand the reason for wanting change. Now that turns into... 50, 60, 70 million people in the United States, that is a very, very large amount of people pushing for something. And if you look at how society works in the United States, once you have a large group of people doing something like that, you tend to get that following of people that don't even necessarily believe in the cause, but because it's so big, they don't want to be not involved in it. Right. So if you were to pull all the people that are affected by a chronic illness, by a disability, by mental health, by a terminal illness, especially family members, the amount of potential change that you could have on the healthcare system and on the government system as, as it affects healthcare, there's such a big voice behind that and such a potential for a big voice behind that, you could make massive changes. But you can't do that when everybody's in their small little individual groups. I agree. We're all asking for the same thing. I don't, I don't think anybody in the community across any group says they want to pay more for their medication, that they want to pay more for their health insurance. They want to be covered less. Like we all push for the same thing. It's just, we're not pushing at the same time and we're not pushing as the same group. Yeah, I agree and with that. That's kind of my goal behind this pull all the groups together and be like hey guys look we are all the same people we deal with all the same stuff let's push for a big change for all of us once we get that big change now we have this big group and we can start focusing on individual issues if you know diabetes is having a problem the government's trying to pass something to change it or you know a pharmaceutical companies making a change well now you got 40, 50 million people behind it to say, hey, that's not cool. Right. The next month, maybe, you know, colitis is having a problem. Now you got those same 40, 50 million people like, hey, that's also not cool. 
they didn't get away with it with that disease. You're not getting away with it with this disease. And right. that's what we need in the U.S. to make a change in what we deal with on a regular basis. And there's already proof that it works because the American Cancer Society does exactly that. Right. They took all of the different cancers and they lumped it under one big group of, hey, if you have cancer, we're here for you. Raise for can you know, raise money, raise awareness for cancer. And they did a great job at it. And I'm not saying they can't be a part of it because they need to be a part of that. They're affected by it as well. But it needs to go to the next level. It needs to go from, okay, if you have cancer, no, if you have a chronic illness, if you have a disability, if you have a mental health condition, if you had a family member that dealt with a terminal illness or you're going through a terminal illness right now, like you're all part of this community. Cancer Association did it. They did a damn good job at it when it comes to cancer. They raised so much money. They raised so much awareness and they have such a force behind it that if anything were to change cancer related, everybody would have something to say about it. Doesn't matter if it affects a tiny portion of cancer that only has like 30,000 patients, the entire community that supports the Cancer Association would say something about it. They proved it works. They, they created a model around cancer. It just needs to go to the next level. You create a model around everything when it comes to health conditions. I like it, man. It's just going to take a while. It works. It's there. We just need to scale it to a bigger level and bring them with us. For sure. So that's how, that's how I view it. That's like, that. yeah, that, that's the ultimate goal of you bring enough people on and you can force the system to change because if you, I mean, what was the last, last presidential election? What, there were like 55 plus million votes on each side? Yeah. Roughly. If you have a single cause pushing 50, 60 million people to make a change, how are you going to ignore that? If, if you have more people than vote for a specific president pushing to be like, hey, we need to fix health care. Hey, you guys know that that bill's not going to work. How, how do you say no to that big of a population? You don't. Right. And as you keep pushing and as you keep pushing it, it just keeps, you know, you, you get that snowball effect. You get all those people on social media that are that are jumping on so they weren't someone that wasn't a part of the the cause. Because there's a ton of people. You, you can see all the people on there that on social media, whenever there's like this major thing going on, everybody's got to be a part of it because they don't want to be the person that was excluded from helping a specific issue. And right. ALS with the Ice Bucket Challenge, that was a really big one. That helped raise a lot of awareness around ALS. And there were a lot of people that were getting involved that probably have never been exposed to ALS. But because of that social media kind of picking it up, it did really well and they got a lot of awareness, which is really good. We just need more of that around the entire community. So, yeah, that's that's my rant about my ultimate goals with the podcast. Turn it into such a big community that you can actually make changes in the government that we need. Because unfortunately... We leave it up to our politicians. I don't think very much is going to change on its own. Absolutely not. And I feel like it's 
regardless of which side you lean, it's just going to get worse for everybody that's sick. Because at the end of the day, if it costs money, they don't want to help with it. That is absolutely true. And you know what they say, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. So you need to make it squeaky enough. That's what I'm saying. And and all those little groups, all the little individual groups aren't anywhere near as loud as we need it to be. For sure. So nothing against them. I'm just trying to pull all of them together into one place. No, I, like I said, I wholeheartedly agree. That's why I set up the nonprofit the way that I did. Because so much is so divisive in our, like in our communities or like near us, like you're on the East Coast too. So um, I can't imagine life is incredibly different, probably a little bit more so if you're not super in the Bible Belt. But um Things have been, like you said, created to divide so that it's easier to not to be like a that person, but it's easier to manipulate people when they're against each other or competing in different ways. Like, isn't that what they say about high school? Like, that's why they have like the juniors and the seniors against the freshmen and the sophomores in the pep rallies, because if they if they understood there was only like 30, <laughs> 30 adults. <laughs> It could get out of hand really quick. Yeah. It's, it's, so, I think as much as I, the individual groups, I mean, as much as they serve their purpose, like you can invalidate a small group very quickly. Mm-hmm. And the more groups there are and the more separation there is, the smaller they are, the less you have to acknowledge them. And unfortunately, when you look at the scale of the United States, a lot of these support groups are so small, the government doesn't even have to acknowledge that they exist. Yeah. You're correct. So when when it's that small, I mean, when it's that small of a, of a following, it, it's just, you can't. You can help the community. Don't get me wrong, but you can't make a change outside of it. That's true. And at the end of the day, I'm, I'm pretty sure ultimately everybody that's in the community wants to make a change outside of it but we just need to pull all of them together to make that happen anything i can do to help you got us i'm sure ron would be like hyped about it yeah so slowly slowly growing but nope for now it's recording podcasts while i learn how to do video editing of what i want to do (laughs) i spent like six hours yesterday trying to figure out how to do uh audio visualizing waveforms in uh davinci resolve which was fun all right well now that all that ranting's done i appreciate you coming on oh i appreciate you talking and it's been a really good conversation and i super i needed it i appreciate it thank you guys for stopping by and listening to the podcast i appreciate everyone make sure you guys stop and check out chronicliving.info got a new website up and running that's going to be the main area to find all the social media content as well as accounts so make sure you guys stop by if anyone's looking to share their story volunteer either time or experience there's also going to be some links on there of how you guys can get involved as always i appreciate you guys and i'll see you in the next one